Welcome to Cardi in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Wong. We are closing out July with something we have never done before. There's no theme here. It's just a what happened we covered. It's a one-off. It's a one-off. But ironically enough, and it's something that didn't hit me until I started watching it, um, it does have ties to August and what's coming up. Sure. And, and you'll discover once August hits and you hear that first episode, you're going to go like, oh, I get it now. And the reason why this one doesn't fit within that guideline is because this is one of those movies that we both enjoyed quite a bit. And we knew going into it um, that it was going to be a favorable episode, even though you know it's got its warts because it, it does just a lot of movies from 2010. I mean, actually, yeah, 2007, like 2012, they really show... Their, yeah. their their wrinkles because a certain type of movie was done a certain way with, with especially movies got heavy visual effects in it like this one does. Yes. Anyway, we got 2010's The Losers. The Losers. Based on the Vertigo DC comic and it's just as stylized as that comic was. Uh, even having some fun with the introduction of all the characters, pausing at moments and kind of giving us a little bit of a panel uh, from the original book, the first edition of the book too, which I think that was kind of cool. But this one is... A Dark Castle movie that we talked about. We actually briefly talked about when we did our Dark Castle we did. series and how it didn't really fit in with the uh, how the how the whole Dark Castle premise was set up and the whole purpose Which of it. Which one of them did not belong? It was Which, this one. <laughs> yes. One of these things doesn't belong and that's the losers. Unfortunately, as fun as the movie is, we didn't get a second one because it did so poorly at the box office. Yeah, man. It just didn't find its peeps. Right. But dropping it in April in 2010, you kind of knew what they were, what Warner Brothers thought of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they weren't digging it. It didn't find a home. And plus, they were trying to beat out Joe Carnahan's The A-Team, which would hit just a few, well, not even two months later, like about six weeks later. Yeah, early June, right? With faces, people that were more recognizable. Not that there were void of recognizable faces in it, because every, almost everybody in this movie is a star now. But back then, it was mostly TV and a little bit of fringe uh, feature film stuff. Like Zoe. Zoe had done the the first Star Trek remake, right? The first movie that J.J. Yep. Abrams did. The year, just the year before it had been released, I think. Right. And you've got Chris Evans already sporting his Captain America bod. Not another teen movie. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were we're a year away from that Captain America dropping. And Jeffrey, Jeffrey Morgan, long before he became... He was Katie Heigl's ghost boyfriend on Grey's Anatomy. Yes. That's how I knew him. Yeah. And he definitely was a draw for, for some women. That was the idea here. And it's Chris Evans the same way. Now, here's what's funny. Um, so Zoe... It, she had also done um, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but so does one of the other guys in part of The Losers, and that's Oscar Yanata. Not that it, not that it happened before this. I'm just saying that that's why he looks familiar to you. Yeah, he looks. I want to, he he looks super familiar to me. Like uh, before, he looks like, but he looks like another actor. I'm trying to think who it is. Well, he reminds me a lot of Madonna's ex. A little bit, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also in this movie, like we talked about pre-Mike, and we may have already said it on Mike, I don't know, because we talked about it so much beforehand, is Idris Elba, rock and roll just a year before that, and those of you that watch a little bit of HBO, known from The Wire. And Luther, his show Luther, a lot of people got into when it finally, BBC pushed it over here on Netflix, that wasn't later on this year, when after The Losers had already dropped. I mean, you get a little bit of his uh, American accent, 
in uh, the wire, but in this one, obviously he's a focal point of the movie and yeah, he's great. Like, just like it was like, like, like he didn't win me over with rock and roll of the year before he's, he's solid. He's probably my favorite character in this as far as the group goes. But I think the baddie in this is somebody that I would have never pictured to play in a part like this, but fuck does he, he clearly was having a good time. Maggots, Michael, yes. eating maggots. How do they taste? I wanted someone to ask him that question just yeah. randomly. <laughs> Jason Patrick playing the baddie Max in this. The uh, I mean, you look at Patrick Wilson's character in the A-Team and he's got nothing on Max. Max is a brutal motherfucker. And again, this movie's PG-13 and spoiler, the, the, the baddie doesn't give a shit about blowing up 25 children inside of a helicopter. That he does not. In the first five minutes of the, the movie. In the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, so the, I mean, the premise is very much, very, it's very familiar because it does sound like the A-team when you, when you start hearing about it. But you and I talked about pre-Mike, the similarities and not just the similarities, but like flat out set pieces. Yeah. The, 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 the finale of both movies takes place at the port of Los Angeles. What the fuck? And neither one of the movies starts anywhere close to the United States. Yeah, it's a. We talk about the Abyss and Leviathan, that, that kind of era where they hear about this water movie happening. And uh, what's the other one with Tealoni? Deep, Deep Impact. Impact. Right. You, and the, but the, you, you have this general idea, right? But to have the final showdown at the same place is just crazy to me. And they involve the same kind of stuff. They involve, you know, Big, the giant canisters and yeah, it, it just, there's a lot of similarities and not just the location, but it also played the same place as a, a very big set piece in Eraser. Yeah. <laughs> but that was one thing. One With, the, I mean, really, right? Like I bet we could take like all those minutes and just cut, we could cut, we could cut and end. we could cut our own like short with Schwarzenegger, the A team and the losers all in one, one, uh, and do that would be, how rad would that be? Right. Uh, there's something you talked about before we had a mic and that was about, and, and we, we touched on in the very beginning about the kind of data of effects that we have a little bit. Yeah. And we were starting to see that thing though. And you see it a lot now where they've taken five or six elements, whether it's visual effects or, or practical shots and they're melding them together and fusing them together to make it look like it's one shot. We see that in superhero movies all the time now where it's just one continuous shot while we're following a ship flying or a flying superhero or something along those lines where it's just, it was cool when it happened, but this is kind of the beginning stages where we're starting to see that. And the audience got was kind of done with that. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're having such trouble with Movie. I would say generic movies, but non-superhero movies are doing that shit now. Where we're just doing these one shots where just multiple comp shots together, even just to fly inside of the, the cockpit of an airplane. It has nothing to do with supernatural or superheroes or any bullshit. I'm tired of seeing it, but this is the beginning stages of why you're seeing that. And why the effects don't work is like, yeah, it's, it's they accepted it. It was passable back then, but one of its, tr its trouble parts of it, but it was not the only movie that came out in that period of time that had that no, trouble. No, no, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a general, it's, it's a thing that affects a lot of movies like yeah. me between 2007 and 2012, 13, somewhere around there. Uh, it just, you know, it really just sort of, you know, I, I don't know if it's because it's gotten so much better or, but it's, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that like, you know, 
you see it now, 13 years later, you're like, oh, oh, oh shit. I don't remember it looking like that. <laughs> right. I could point out the moments when it happens, but I won't. I'll let uh, you guys watch it and you'll, you'll know. I, you don't need me to tell you. The, the thing that this movie really, what I like about it is I, I dig the fact that, you know, it, for a comic book superhero, it's not a superhero movie, right. right? Like these guys are all just normal. They're just, you know, they're just kind of a badass fucking military team that gets hung out to dry by the, you know, the CIA, if you will. Right. They all have their specialty, you know. Evans is the comms guy. Clay is the leader. Roke is the uh, demolitions expert. Pooch is the transpo guy. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. You said Roke is your favorite character. I kind of like fucking Cougar, dude. No, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with Cougar, but I, my I, the reason why I like Idris so much in it, because for me, he, I didn't see a lot of him before this. And I had already seen a lot of Jeffrey D. Morgan because of Supernatural and Chris Evans a little bit, and probably a little bit less than Zoe. I think I watched that Star Trek movie like a dozen times trying to figure out how it got made. Sure. And where did they leave Spock's teeth? I love Cougar, but one of the things that I loved about, about Cougar's character was when you're doing those character card introductions at the beginning of the movie. Yes, I love correct. his description. It's his long range eliminations. I'm like, oh, he's yes. the sniper. What I've never heard that description no. before for, for a sniper, and I thought that was great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Like that that whole opening sequence, the introductions to all the characters, is, it's so cool. Yeah. You know, it, and it's not something we hadn't, but it was, I'm sorry. It's not something that we had seen at the time, but like I said off, off mic, we would get we would get a lot of that very soon <laughs> from a lot of from a from a very unexpected network, <laughs> right? I feel yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, right. Speaking of speaking of algorithmic type of editing and, and yes. yeah, it's very much that. I agree. I can't and and, and the look of it is very yeah. distinct. And totally. and uh, I mean, shit. They flat out made a movie very similar to this, and they made a sick a sequel. Extraction is a lot like. The yes, correct. This. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. And in extraction, in the sequel, they do a lot of unique and and, and underseen, not new, but underseen camera operations and uh, techniques that you do, again are very unique to those two movies. Uh, you know, we actually that guy points out something else too. There are two different Fincher associates yes. in this. One that correct. one of them is the co-writer along with. With Peter Berg is James Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac. Yes, he did, Jimmy. Yeah, and all of that. But we have somebody in front of the camera that is a, a Fincher alum. It's Holt McNally. Yeah, me. he's playing. Yeah, <laughs> dude, me, I totally me, forgot. Me. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot he was in the movie. Same. I was so happy when he when he showed up. I was like, holy shit! I think I even said holy shit out loud. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot he was in the movie. Yeah, and it's funny when when you got what close to 20 episodes of Mindhunter, I'm used to him being Bill Tench more than anything yeah. else, which is another oh, yeah. reason why I forgot that he was, that he was even in the movie. And as soon as you see him in the very beginning, I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah, dude. Like the whole, the roof scene. Okay. Yep. One of the best introductions to a baddie on movies, television. And I'm talking about going all the way back to like silent movies. When you get snidely whiplash kind of vibes all the way forward, it's just kind of like, even he has a hard time communicating with his own guy. And right. he goes, you gave me a, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. I know you're, gonna, you're talking about the scene where they're on the phone with each other. And he's like, I just assembled them. That no, scene? no, 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 no. Oh, on oh. The, the roof scene. Oh yeah. 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 Gotcha. 
it tells you a couple of things. It tells you his community. It tells you that Max's communication isn't exactly what it should be with his people. And at the same time, it's the, you have an understanding what his people think of the ruthlessness that Max can convey and the things that he expects people to do, even though he didn't quite communicate. That's what he wanted done in that moment. But it just says a lot about who he is, the character Max and what his people think of him and the kind of ruthless man that he is. Yeah, that was that just seems so solid. And they kind of build on that a couple other moments later on, too. I wish we got a sequel just so I can see Jason Patrick to choose some more scenery because he was so fucking fun in this movie. He's a blast on it. He, he again, he's my he's my favorite part of the entire movie. And I, Idris is my favorite part of the losers group themselves. But I yeah, I think I think Jason and I think we're just, I think we're shy like a few more minutes of, of Max Dude, in this movie. I literally, when the movie was over, I went, I, I looked up Jason Patrick just to see what he's been doing since yeah. Lizard. And dude, he's in, I sent, I sent you a fantastic looking Western with him and Lou Diamond Phillips. And the dude, if you look at these movies that I'm going to watch, almost every one of them on Tubi. Ooh, I like that. I, I think <laughs> I got to look, I got to look up some of these Patrick movies, dude. I forgot how much fun that dude is. You know, sometimes he seems like he's in his own movie and sometimes he's, you know, you, you get this and, uh, dude, he is, he is one of the most memorable asshole villains, uh, from any movie in the last 20 years. I feel right. like if you've seen this movie, like I would stack him up with any, with any other, you know, villain of this type. Right. What's interesting is, is the movies and television he's done in the last 20 hours oh, last 12 years has been are things that you wouldn't expect him to do they're all like lo, very low key stuff he just he's choosing things that seem like they're going to be fun but have, have you ever seen him in something where you thought he was he gave he underperformed or just wasn't he just didn't deliver what he was expected to deliver he he's always a standout to me once he got kind of past that that he, he well, he had to it, shake off speed sh- too. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, he even with speed too, he still hadn't shook off all the all the lost boys, Michaelness of it all. Because he's, I mean, he's Dude. really not that great in that movie. Because <laughs> in the movie, in lost boys? Like, yeah. Well, nobody's really good. In no, but lost I, boys, but, but I was about to say, you know, put an asterisk next to that because of the movie itself. Right, the star of that movie is the cinematography and the soundtrack. Oh yeah, really? It's, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. And nobody's bad in it. It's just, you know, there's, you know, there's not any character development in right. those characters. Again, a product of its time, just like this movie is. But this movie, part of the project of its time for when I say that about the losers is more about the visual aspect of it. But, it, but when you look at the, what came before it, I think there's only one other movie that as stylized as this and something we've talked ad nauseum about covering for a long time. And honestly, if we had done a themed month, this movie would be, a, it would be included with the losers and that shoot them up. And, and it's very stylized in that way too. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, and, 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 and those two movies actually have great things about like this one has great closing credits back when they were where, and I'm glad that, that, trend happened for a little while where they had really great and fun animated sequences during the closing credits. I thought that was always... Is is this movie the best use of Journey's Don't Stop Believing ever? 100%. You get it it three times in the movie. (laughs) You get Chris singing it in the lobby in the elevator. You get it when you get, then you get the real journey version when his, right? when his cover's been blown. And then of course at the soccer game at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and look, if you're going to pay for that song, use it. Yeah. And it's perfect. Right? 
it's per, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally perfect is. because we, the running gig gag with Jensen is he wants to get home because he's watching his niece play soccer. He's living vicariously uh, her life vicariously through her through his phone and seeing what's happening with her soccer team. And that's of course that's where we finally get to the end where the losers are back in the United States and and it's a po- it's one of the first right one of the first mid roll credit sequences that we were seeing before yeah. Marvel oh, yeah. started grabbing a hold of that and making yep. it a staple. All the losers are at the soccer game. And, uh, it, it's great because now they're playing, don't stop believing, but that's the boat. It's not just the song and the recognizability of the song. It's that it's kind of a, it's like, it's like an underlying thing that they have to continue yeah, to believe man. that they're going to get back to the United States and be able to live their lives again. And they're going to get a sequel is what I thought. I, I literally did that. I was like this and they set it up perfectly. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, it hurts. It yeah. hurts. Right. And we get just like with Marvel can totally adopting. We do get a second post-credit sequence and it's, and it's really cool. I, I mean, I thought it was, it was, it was, they have a good time. They're playing around with the whole op, special ops situation just to get Pooch back in time to see his his son be born. Right. I mean that that was really cool. I, was, I mean that's a fun little moment in the movie. I was waiting for Matthew Broderick to show up and tell us all to go home. <laughs> I literally yeah, I stayed to the very last credit. It's just one of those movies. It's super fun. And nothing. I, I mean, it's not unlike when we covered for the Fright Night remake. It's there. It is its own thing. It is familiar, sure. And it, it, I mean, let's be honest, man. The, there's no question that the creators of the Vertigo book are, were fans of the TV show, The 18. There's no doubt about it. It's more The 18, obviously, because of the whole setup, than it is like The Dirty Dozen or anything like that that could right. be where, where A Team kind of took from itself. Since you brought up the A team, let's talk about the uh, the other thing that kind of dates this movie a little bit. And it's it's the PG violence, man. Yeah, because I'm I'm okay with the PG thirteen rating. It's but it, there's there's a way. I, but I didn't it feel like the violence was more like a PG movie, even than a PG thirteen yeah. movie at times. And I remember looking this up back when the movie came out. They could have gotten a PG movie, but when they murdered all 25 kids the way they did, that alone, right. that gives you, yeah, it elevates sure. that. And then the the first bedroom scene between Zoe and Jeffrey and Dean. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's it. And even Joey goes, what's this movie rated? And I go, it's PG-13. I told you that. You're not going to see anything more than what you're saying. Just see some leg, baby. Yeah. Just some leg. <laughs> the most violent moment that you get in the entire movie is when Pooch gets his knee shot. Well, I guess yep. the top of his legs, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I remember when this movie got announced or when the trailer dropped. I can't remember which one, at what point the reveal was that it was going to be PG-13. And fans of the book were disappointed to say the least because, and I didn't, unfortunately, I wasn't at the time, I couldn't join in on the the chanting about that because I hadn't read them. I didn't read any of the books until after I'd already seen the movie and became interested in, and then started, you started seeing those little elements. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is far heavier than what you expect. But we all know that Joel Silver who produces movie is not afraid of violence. In fact, this is one of the the few dark castle movies that didn't get an R rating as far as a movie you thought would have gotten it. I mean, there were a ton of PG 13s that they put out before that. But the source material of this now didn't just call for it. It screams for it to be a little bit heavier than it was. But because it was going up against what it went up against, you can tell by the edits, dude, this was a more violent movie. There, there, there's more to this movie on that was shot that they just had to cut. 
sure. Cause it, and it's only 97 minutes. So right. I, mean, I feel like it, you know, probably was cut down from like, I don't know, you know, close to 120, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I, you have to figure that there was a lot more going on here than, than, uh, the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't really suffer from it. It's just no. a personal, it's just a personal preference. It, it's, it, it, you know, for me, it's, it's like the explosions. Are the explosions going to bother everybody? Maybe, maybe not. Do they bother me? Yes. You make this movie now. Dude, they should totally remake this movie. It's it's 100%. Oh, shit. I mean, you might as well make a series out of it. Do a limited series. But you make it now, and it's the Deadpool effect. You're, it's going to be an R rating. They're, they're, they're like, yeah, look, they, 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 mm-hmm. there wouldn't oh, yeah. be any com- confusion about what it should be. Like, you don't even think about it. No. You go for it and then cut down your... your uh, your NC-17 down to the R. I mean, fucking go for it. Because if if you see what they do on the boys on Prime, then you have to be able to go that far with it. And if it ends up being a streaming thing as a feature or a streaming thing as a limited series, you're going you're gonna to have the flexibility of, of having that MA option, which is crosses that R line a little bit more than, than a normal R-rated movie would. But right. Uh, since we since we both love Patrick so much, what are your top three Jason Patrick movies? Just because we got to give him some love, because I don't think we're going to cover anything else with Jason Patrick. So, what are your top? Because three? everything he does is such a downer, dude. Right? I know, but I'm just saying, give me your top three. Come on, Rush, Sleepers, and this. Okay, I was gonna, uh, there. You go. So mine are, mine's Rush, Sleepers, and After Dark, My Sweet. There you go. <laughs> all downers. <laughs> They're all downers, right? <laughs> I mean, the oh, reason, yeah, Jesus. Rush yeah I knew you were, gonna, I knew we would get, I knew we would do, we'd get two at least. I didn't know about the, th- I didn't think we'd get, we'd nail all three, but I knew we'd get two. If we didn't watch this. If you talked to me yesterday, I probably wouldn't have said this. I would have struggled with my third one. I would have to think about it more. Yeah. But seriously. Yeah. Walter Hill's Geronimo is not bad, but yeah, I, I could do this. Been so, I don't think I saw it since it came out. I, I couldn't honestly tell you. Yeah, I couldn't. Well, that's why I didn't include it because it's not something I've seen. I've seen. I've seen this now. This is the third time I've seen this, probably or maybe fourth, because I probably watched it twice when I bought the blue. Right. But the other ones multiple times. Um, but yeah, man, that cat does. You know, when he's good, he's good, man. I mean, he's even good in things that you know the movies aren't good. He's he's usually the best part because dude, uh, sleepers. God, dude, that is uh-huh. a rough movie, man. Holy shit. Um, how big, I can't remember his part in, in Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. Mm, Talk about a stylized movie, man. That, I mean, for a Corman movie, that's got a, that's got a lot more money in it than I would have expected. There's like a good eight figures worth of money in them. That's not like him to put a lot of money in it. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, there's another weird movie. Wasn't there a movie you're like your friend, oh, your friends and neighbors. That's a dude. That's another yeah. bummer, dark, fucking horrible movie. Okay. We've already talked about the Carnahan crossover with, with a couple of people in this, uh, whether they're writing or in front of the camera. He was also in NARC. Right. Why do I always forget about NARC? Yeah. It's, he's, that's not, that's not right. Um, but to me, like that's, I mean, that's Ray's movie. He's so fucking amazing in it. So, yeah, that's, that's I mean, all I remember. But yeah, but they they were the two leads in it, and yeah, you forget about the fact that Busta Rhymes in it. <laughs> Busta, Busta Rhymes, Busta. Oh yeah, and Shy McBride was the. I did. I haven't seen. Been, I have not seen that movie in Dude, fucking forever. It's so funny because when you said Shy McBride, I the only thing that popped in my head was the Frighteners. We're right. <laughs> Come on, Frank. Oh, he's so good. Come on, Frank. <laughs> 
<laughs> Holy shit, he's so good. But Jason Patrick, yeah, he to me he's really the the standout of the movie. Is uh, even even over Idris, even the other two movies that you and I mentioned. Hey, your third movie, it's this is still going against type, even for yeah, absolutely. He's just chewing the scenery and having a fucking blast doing it. And you know, out of everybody, all that entire cast, you know what? He's probably the one I would have loved to, out of everybody because we've seen everybody else in this movie play some derivative of what they play in this later on. Chris Evans, come on, dude. He's like an everyday American white dude in it. And who does he yeah. become the year after this? He Captain did, America. Captain America. <laughs> so, again, everybody's wonderful. And so he's on that one. She'll do a couple, uh, uh, what do you call it? Fucking, what's the. Columbiana, right? And that just Columbiana a year, comes right just after, a year yeah. after this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how different is that character from what she is in this movie? Uh, it's the same character. It's the same character. Isn't it? She's, she's Aisha, but uh, yeah. I mean, uh, but here's the thing, man. I kind of miss Zoe doing those kind of movies, man. Yeah. Like, I, where is she? I, haven't, I, I feel like I haven't seen her in, I mean, I haven't seen the Avatar movies, obviously. Probably that's what, and I haven't seen the Guardians movies. There, I answered my own question. It, but it wasn't just the Guardians movies. She's in a couple of the of the Avengers movies too, but, but your, your point's taken. Um, I don't, oh, oh yeah. She did vampires in the Bronx a few years ago. Yeah. Right. She was in the Adam project with Reynolds. No? Yeah. 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 That wasn't that. That's right. I mean, that would be the only thing I could think of that I have seen. Oh yeah. no. She was also in O Russell's Amsterdam last year. Never saw it. <laughs> Neither. That's why I have to look it up to find that information. <laughs> she did play Nina Simone at some point. Yeah. What was that? It was in a movie called Nina in 26, no, 2015, 2016. Yeah. The only thing I think I've seen her in really that, I can, that now I'm looking at it is Out of the Furnace. Oh, fuck, dude. Yeah. Yeah, we could just put on a bunch of downer movies with Jason oh. Patrick and Zoe Saldana. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's another thing, too, about, about that is that uh, she had that Christian Bale connection. So she did another Christian Bale, uh, Amsterdam, also. So what else was Zoe in? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that was another thing. So her and Chris Evans get reunited in which Avengers movie? I want to say it was Infinity War was the first one where Gamora and Captain America had a scene together. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest, man. If you, the likelihood that you have to, you have to go to a third degree to connect somebody that's in a Marvel movie, it, it's tough. They're, they're they're new to they're new to the scene because it's it really it's not hard to get. It, most of the time, it only takes two steps, right? Hey, was she was she not in the third Star Trek movie? The oh Marvel's- no, she's in it. Beyond, she's in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, but I don't, I don't remember called. how much she's in it because, like, for me, the, the I mean, Beyond's not very good. But to me, the standout in well, that's because her and Idris would be. That's a, there's, an, there's there's a, another there's another connection. There's reunion, right? And Sophie Butella is the is the baddie in it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, this is one of those movies we can go on and on about. And, and because it's so early on and for a lot of performers' careers, it's easy to branch off and talk about everything you've done since. And there wasn't a lot to, to lean back on prior to making this movie. This is a formula that was used a lot back then, uh, especially by the you know, smaller you know, entities like Dark Castle where they took people on the fringe, some recognizable faces. That's like the old school way of doing it. You put a movie star in a movie and, fought and surround them with TV people, right? It's a little bit like that kind of attitude. Like I said, of the losers, three or four of these are like the considered A-list performers. So yeah, go figure. 
Yeah, no doubt, right? And Joel Silver and, and his production company, whether it's Dark Castle or Silver Pictures, which he's no longer part of, but he always surrounds himself with the right kind of people that recognize and able to just grab the right talent and blow them up. Again, look at all the Dark Castle movies. And Robert Downey Jr., right? They caught him in Gothica long before he re, you know, he rebounded and became Tony Stark. Sherlock? Yeah, well, that too. Or Sherlock Holmes, no? Yeah. Well, I'll tell yeah. Well, I mean, all, all that's, I can't, I can't remember when all that stuff is. Blurs together, right? There you go. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's, this is another one of those ones that we can't talk a lot about because we can just keep going around in circles about how good everybody is and, and all the great stuff they've done since then and using this as the, as a launching pad for, you know, the, the expansive careers that they've had. There was one, like, there was one type of character that I saw in the book that they left out of this and he was kind of, I, I, I can't remember the character's name right now. I remember thinking about this back, you know, right, right after I read the first book. It's one of those young guys, like maybe if this movie was made today, like Tom Holland would play him. But I thought back then, I'm like, you know, Anton Yelchin would be, would have been a perfect character. Again, I, I can't, if I remember for Kickstart, I'll, I'll mention it and then I can relay what, but he's very much that, that young, smart kid. But, and I think in a lot of ways, he kind of rolled that into Jensen's character a little bit. Right. Yeah. Made him a little bit over amalgam. So. Hey, yeah. just quick question. Was yeah. Sherlock Holmes, were those, were those dark house movies? Silver produced at least the first one. I mean, I can't remember though. I just don't, uh, my iPad just died. So I can't even cross check my references. Oh yeah, it totally is. Is Okay. Yeah. I, 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 for some reason I thought they, I thought that's where you were going with the Gothic connection because. Well, yeah, well this is this, I mean, the thing is this is after Iron Man and I think right, it, like right after Iron Man, it was this next movie, like right after it. I feel like they probably filmed both of them hoping that, you know, he wasn't going to fuck up. Well, yeah, I and mean, here's the like thing: Joel Silver has always had an affinity for for Robert. I mean, you know, the whole situation, the kiss, kiss, bang, bang, right? I mean, that was that made a lot of sense. Yeah, and Air America. Oh, right. Yeah, and Iron Man Two was was just a year after Sherlock Holmes, and then he did Due Date, the Sherlock Holmes sequel. But yeah, but that's the thing with Dark Castle, and we talked about that. There was a point where they kind of branched out beyond doing the the OG horror movie remakes, and um, they could have built more on it, but I don't, I don't know what happened there. Like they kind of like lost their way, but not, not that they haven't put out anything recently because they have, but nothing like back then where they were just no. spitting movies out left and right. And I think one of the things is I think when they lost their DVD and Blu-ray window, when that went away, which kind of they would have, I'd say out of the eight movies they release a year, six of them were on the docket where they knew all the money was going to be made back then and they could elevate bigger productions like the Sherlock Holmes movies. And by the way, who, speaking of great opening and closing animated credits, both those movies are fucking rock. Yeah, I'm kind of psyched for the third one. Dude, it really said a lot too when you saw that first movie of like, it lets you know that, oh man, Guy Ritchie's back in full force. You got two solid movies in a row from him and that was... I mean, that's what happens when you ditch Madonna, man. She was like hurting his, hurting his creativity so much. Why you been like swept away? Okay. So yeah. So there's the losers. Here's a great thing. It's only 10 bucks. You want to pick up on Blu-ray somewhere. Yeah. Or it's uh, if you want to buy it's, it's streaming blows. Yeah. What's that? That's a streaming blows right now. It's not playing anywhere. You can't, there's no, it's not, it isn't. It, that's the drag. I had to rent it. Unfortunately. I thought I owned the movie. I'm, I, you, you and I talked about one of the movies we're covering in August that we, uh, you thought you may have lost it as part of a purge. 
I gotta go look. I gotta I gotta dig through boxes. Although there's a snake in my garage right now, so I kind of am like worried about going in there. Fuck that snake. Uh, so I I had to buy this movie because I couldn't find it, and I also bought the first movie for August, and I'm so excited. Here's my here's your little tease for it. It's Pan and Scan DVD. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited. I almost got the VHS just because I wanted to watch it that way. Well, you're going to. I am. <laughs> I just have the benefit of it being a DVD. Is there anything you can do to fuck the tracking up? <laughs> I can run it through a. I can run it through something to make it look that way. Run it through a program. Oh shit! Some sort of interference. It's. Uh, we're both looking forward to that. Looking forward to the whole month. The of whole August. month, and I think all but one movie is going to be is going to be pretty easy to locate, and one of them is just kind of a. It's too good to pass up, not to cover, because of it just fits in right with what we're talking about doing. And the great thing about it, it's a range. It's a window. It's not a small window of time like the Tubi series was. This is like, this is a nice wide range over, oh, dec yeah, this over is like decades. Over decades. years. Yeah. So it's going to be fun to do. Anyway, so there you go. Here's your one-off. I feel like we need to do these once in a while. Yeah, man. Just pick a movie and go for it. We get to those, those months where we have to have five movie releases. Yeah, let's we'll, just do that. We'll just we'll go random. One. Yeah, 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 we'll just dealer's choice. <laughs> Rochambeau that shit. Rochambeau. All right. If you want to follow us on the socials on X, not Twitter, X at Karate what? Pod Letterboxed and Insta and on Insta is Corey is Culper97 and on Letterboxd is Corey underscore Culp. Yeah, Twitter is called X now. Wow. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram or at Tom Cody on Letterboxd, or you can follow me at the letter B because I think <laughs> it's great. 